Before we begin, this podcast talks about mental health and well-being, so take care while listening. While we hope you enjoy listening to and learning from the podcast, the discussions we have are general in nature and do not take into account your own or your workplace's specific needs and circumstances. Therefore, it is not meant to take the place of specialist advice. Welcome to the Workplace Wellbeing Natters podcast. We would like to acknowledge that we are recording this podcast on the land of the Gunai Kurnai people and pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. We would also like to acknowledge the demand for services currently being experienced by the sector and that this impacts everyone in different ways, including contributing to poor mental health and wellbeing outcomes. So we encourage you to be compassionate to yourself and others. In this episode, we are exploring positive leadership within the care sector and how it impacts workplace wellbeing. I'm joined by special guest, Tegan Davies. Tegan is the passionate general manager of the Oranges Toolkit, a social enterprise that builds mental and emotional agility through seriously refreshing workplace wellbeing programs, and it returns profit to camp quality to support kids facing cancer. Tegan is an experienced designer and facilitator of well-being, leadership and coaching programs, and a qualified business coach and yoga instructor. She holds various human resources and business qualifications, a diploma in positive psychology, and is an accredited strengths profile practitioner. Her top strengths include gratitude, teamwork, and kindness. Welcome, Tegan. Thank you, Linda. It's great to be here. It's wonderful to have you here today. Yoga instructor. I did not know that about I you. I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> today we're talking about positive leadership. So obviously within the kind of wellbeing science space, there's, you know, academic concepts of what positive leadership is. But what I'm really interested in is what do you see as positive leadership? So from a practical perspective, as the general, you know, manager of the Oranges Toolkit, what does it mean for you? How I would respond is probably a bit different from what I would have said a couple of years ago, particularly with the cohort of listeners in the healthcare sort of environment that you have. For me, I think positive leadership is absolutely being human first and understanding your own emotions and your own energy to understand your own team members, their strengths, their weaknesses, their emotional states, and really lead with compassion. The reason I use the word compassion is there's some research that is indicating that potentially leading with empathy may be de-energizing to us, that actually it can withdraw our emotional bank accounts of energy, whereas leading with compassion is the idea that we want to do something about the feelings that people are feeling. So for me, leading with compassion is really important. Understanding my people and how they tick because everyone's different. Uh, everyone will need different things. So I'd, I'd start by saying being a human first and sharing things about yourself and your challenges and struggles because we know that creates trust and we know, again, the science behind psychological safety. When your team feel like they can trust each other and you as a leader, you're going to get more out of each other. The next two elements that I'd suggest are, are, are sort of new, I guess, in my sort of leadership and post-pandemic world or current pandemic world 
first of all is creating certainty wherever possible to try and create guardrails. We know the people who are drawn to the care sector are those who love to do things for others. And one of the challenges of the care sector is we always think of others first before ourselves. And me as a leader, I'm really bad at it. I'm always thinking of others first and have to pull back and set my own boundaries. And I think managing change is really important in today's day and age because of the complexity of leading in a post-COVID world. Absolutely. And there's so much in what you just said. What I really liked was the distinction between empathy and compassion, because we often hear about compassion fatigue, but Mm. we don't hear a lot about empathy fatigue. And I'm sure our listeners would love to hear more about the five C's. We have a whole change workbook on it. It might be helpful if I share the whole change workbook, because I think it really dives deeply into how we respond and how communication is really key and paramount to that. Want the terms, we've got capability, which is about helping people feel capable in terms of doing their, their work. After capability, we then have communication, which again is a really important C. I've already hinted to it, particularly during times of uncertainty when you're going through that change. Uh, We then have collaboration. We now know as we're starting to come back into the office environment how important that collaboration is and providing mechanisms for that. The fourth is compassion and the last one is connection. I honestly think that connection is so important for teams and it does align to this idea of psychological safety, but happy to provide the workbook and, and really think that your listeners would benefit from that. And then also we've got another article around the difference between compassion and fatigue that I honestly think anyone in the care sector really should um, read and understand some of that science. Nice. That's awesome. Thank you. We will put those links in the show notes for people that are interested. We've talked about positive leadership and you've talked about the elements. What's the link between positive leadership and well-being in the workplace? I think it's important to start by understanding that well-being is a complex construct. There are lots of things, as you know, influence our well-being from our DNA to our circumstances to our relationships, to our physical health. And what we know is that many of us spend more time in the workplace than we do out of the workplace. And so the structures we put in place and the leadership we display absolutely has a flow-on effect into the way that our staff think and feel about their own well-being. We know that people who have stronger well-being tend to be more engaged, more productive, have less sick days, Um, and tend to also stay around longer. And so there's also a financial reward, and there always has to be a financial reward for organisations to invest in wellbeing. They need to see a return on investment there. So I'd I'd say that there is absolutely a, a link to leadership, but it's easier said than done, Linda. I mean, I'm a leader at the moment. I know the academic science, but to be aware of my own emotions, to look after myself, my own guardrails in place is really quite challenging. Absolutely. I think acknowledging that it is quite challenging at the moment is really important. And I love what you said about systems and structures as well, because I think oftentimes the burden or the responsibility, if you like, of individual well-being in the workplace falls on the individual, Mm. whereas it's really a shared responsibility. What can leaders do then to role model and promote positive culture and workplace environment? 
It's interesting that you talk about that systems there and recognise that um, we already, lots of organisations have systems in place. They might not be as evolved or as mature as we want them to be, but they're as simple as the employee recognition program. Every single client we work with has a peer recognition program or a recognition program of leaders recognising great performance of employees. And so actually utilising the systems that are in place is a really easy way to start. You don't have to generally create it. Usually the people and culture team have put them in place and then ideally it's the leader's role to utilise those systems. For me, on a personal level, I like to think of what behaviour I want to see in my staff and then work my way back. I have a real bugbear and I'm really passionate about wanting my team to have faith outside of work for their own thinking, their own creativity And we've got a policy but a feeling in our organisation that we don't send emails out of work hours. And so if I think about the last three years at the Oranges Toolkit, I've probably sent 10 emails to my team after hours in the last three years because I genuinely want them to have space outside of work. And so that's important for me as a leader to role model that. Now, I'm going to say something a bit controversial and maybe trigger a few people in this, so hopefully you don't lose all your listeners, but um, I often hear leaders say, oh, my team know I work weird hours and sometimes I'll send an email at 11 o'clock at night and they know they don't need to respond to me. Oh, you know, as a leader, you're telling your staff you need to work at 11 p.m. at at night and there's this power dynamic, whether you know it or not as a leader, that you role model that behaviour and they will see you sending emails at 11 p.m. at night. So just don't send them. Get them ready and then use beautiful technology to delay that response until the morning or just wait and press send the next day. I know that's a small example, but it demonstrates that role modelling is a huge way to create and influence change in organisations because if there's a disconnect between what you're trying to say and what you're doing, people will pick up on it. Absolutely. And I think that's so important that, you know, what you're saying is also what you're living or or demonstrating as well. I just want to go back also to what you said in relation to reward and recognition programs. And Mm. I think... What you said about utilising the existing structures is really important because if organisations don't have a lot of resources, you know, Mm -hmm. time and money, utilising what's already there, I think is, you know, a great way to start. But also it's really about identifying the behaviours that you do want to reward, right? Mm -hmm. And you alluded to this. So if you're employee, you know, reward and recognition programs are always based on, you know, the KPIs or, (laughs) you know, the targets or the measurables, well, then that's what people are going to focus on. But, you know, if you have awards or, you know, you recognize people's efforts toward, you know, well-being or compassion in the workplace and those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. So it's about not only perhaps utilizing the existing structures, but also making sure that the existing system and structures are focused on the specific behaviours that you do want to encourage within a workplace in relation to a positive climate. 
Oh, I love that. I am frantically nodding away. The listeners won't see that, but I'm like, yes, 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 yes. So I think we might have already answered this, but if people aren't sure where to start or what's next, what would you suggest? So, you know, maybe doing an audit of your existing systems and structures, looking at what you can leverage from there. Is there any anything else that you would suggest for people? Yep. I'd actually don't even worry about systems as a first and foremost. I'd worry about yourself. I think if you have your own understanding of your own well-being, what influences your own well-being, your emotional intelligence, if you start with self, that's going to have a flow-on effect. And we know that from the science. Our emotions are contagious. And so as a leader, if you have a time where you're feeling a little bit stressed and you can't pick up on that, that's going to have a flow-on effect because that role modelling behaviour is so, so important because that sets the expectations up. Um, But then, of course, you you do want to hit the systems hard, ideally. But systems can sometimes take a little while because you may not always have the decision-making responsibility. And so focusing on the stuff that's in your control or in your remit of, like, being able to influence is really quite important. Otherwise, you'll get yourself stuck on the things that you're not able to change. And I think starting within your circle of influence is really paramount to that as well. Yeah, fantastic. And I think, you know, then creating that positive ripple effect out is really important as well. We know that everyone can contribute to the health and safety and well-being of each other in the workplace. So if you're not a leader, for instance, what can you do then? Would you still suggest starting with self or are there other some other tips or strategies that you could share with our listeners? You're right. I would say start with self. I also think that we don't need to be a leader to influence change and, and that's something we focus very much on in our in our workshops is that, that we do have some level of agency in the way that we show up, whether you're, you're an admin or whether you're a CEO. I'd also suggest understanding your team members is really important because if you know, for instance, let's say, Linda, you're normally a very bubbly, charismatic person and all of a sudden you've sort of come into work and you're a little bit quieter or shyer than usual, I'd be attuned to that and then that gives me an opportunity to, to have a conversation and say, hey, I notice you're a little bit quieter than usual. You know, is there something I can help you with? Do you want to have a conversation? You don't have to be a leader to do that. And that's that demonstration of compassion, right? It's I've noticed something as this sort of feeling and then I'm doing something about it that takes it from that empathy, feeling, compassion, doing. And I also think sometimes we don't have those conversations because we're a bit worried about what's going to unfold, right? Do I now have to be a counsellor or a psychologist? But never underestimate the power of a healing ear, right? Just purely listening, not trying to fix the situation, but just being present in that moment can really make a difference in that person's day. As a mental health first aid trainer, I absolutely agree with what you say in that sometimes we don't approach people because we're a little bit concerned about you know, what might evolve. And I think that's really the beauty of mental health first aid. It kind of, it teaches you those skills and gives you the confidence to then be able to, you know, listen and support and encourage people to seek either professional help or other supports as well. 
And I think in the workplace now, as you already said, you know, we spend lots of our life at work. So it's really a good context to be able to pick up on, you know, what might be happening for those around us and to actively, you know, listen, support and encourage them to seek help. Perhaps my last question is we often like to leave our listeners with some really kind of practical, actionable strategies that they can take. So what would be your top three tips or actionable strategies for creating workplace wellbeing? Quite often, wellbeing initiatives don't actually cost a lot of money. Again, that sort of human aspect to it. If I was to say three things, um, first of all, don't underestimate the power of the one percenters in terms of systems or in terms of your own behaviour. So you've got the system of an employee recognition program. That one percenter is just slightly changing it so that you're rewarding behaviours that are well-being focused. One of our clients, Motorola, after doing one of our workshops, now has an optimism award, right? And so that small tweak can actually compound hugely over days and weeks, months and years, right? We know the power of compound interest in money. Same thing with those one percenters. Um, In terms of our own behaviour, it could be I'm going to log off at 5 o'clock instead of 5.30, right? Those small tweaks that can influence yourself and those around you. I would always say start there because that's going to give you that momentum. I think the next thing that I would recommend is having wellbeing champions around you, asking other people in your organisation who would like to be the influencers of that wellbeing change. And again, it could be as simple as you're going to meet once a quarter and maybe your activation is you're going to put post-it notes on people's tables saying something positive about them, right? Again, it doesn't have to be huge things. I think that's so important that we've actually designed a wellbeing champion Uh, And then the last one here, and this is the one that's challenging and disempowering, is that leadership buy-in. Sometimes it's really great and you've got that, you know, executive leadership team up there and other times you really do have to build your influencing skills in those moments. But having a really compelling business case to demonstrate the return on investment so that if you only have $1,000 to spend on wellbeing, you can demonstrate that potentially it might return $4,000 in productivity benefits. We, again, feel really passionate about that and have created a business case template for organisations so that our HR practitioners or leaders don't have to waste their time demonstrating the economic value. Perfect. And I'm sure our listeners would also love to have access to that business case as well. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Tegan. Is there anything else we've missed or anything else you'd like to add before we close off? From being a practitioner for a really long time, there's probably two things I'd finish with. First of all, sometimes it can feel a little lonely when you're trying to create that cultural change. So finding your allies to help you is really helpful. Those allies may be in your organisation or maybe outside your organisation. So find a community that you really feel connected to. Um, If your own well-being isn't, if you were to give it a score, 100% right now, um, try not to feel guilty about that and to feel like it has to be 100%. Again, as a practitioner, my well-being now is not as high as it was pre-pandemic. And just knowing that and accepting that and I think can just take that guilt away of feeling like you have to be 
what I call tip top all the time. Um, maybe your 70% is your 100%. And so I think that can be quite helpful when we think about our own self-awareness. Yeah, so important. And I think that's around self-compassion too, isn't oh, it? Yeah, Totally. I love that you've finished this off with the word self-compassion. Really interesting research there. Yeah. Thank you so much, Tegan. It has been absolutely wonderful to have you as part of the Workplace Wellbeing Natters podcast. And we will put the links to all of the resources that you uh, have so generously offered to share in the show notes as well. We have so loved connecting with you and sharing our insights into positive leadership and workplace wellbeing. As always, we want to know what you think, what you've been inspired by, and any questions you would like to have answered or contributions you would like to make to the podcast. So leave a review or contact us via matters at workplacewellbeingnatters.com.au. If you would like to explore how we can help you on your journey, submit a case study or a comment for us to include in our podcast. We look forward to next time. Thanks for joining us and bye for now.